0: This episode is sponsored by Realtor.com, who wants you to take advantage of your free profile on Realtor.com. By claiming and completing your free profile, adding a photo, and all of the information that puts you head and shoulders above the competition, you're on your way to receiving free leads, helping search engines find you, and staying top of mind with past clients. To learn more about claiming your free profile, go to Realtor.com forward slash profile. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Real View Podcast. I am your host, Allison. Joining me today are two very special Ohio Realtors women. I am so excited to have them on the show today, to be hearing from them, to be talking to them. I know I've been looking forward to this all week, so I would like to welcome to the show Jill Rudler. She's an Ohio Realtor and a candidate for Ohio House. She was last year in Senator Michelle Reynolds. Who is our Ohio senator as well as an Ohio realtor? Ladies, welcome onto the show. I'm so happy to have you. I thank you. Thank you, Allison. It's great to be here. Yeah, so I'm going to just dive in going to be talking um, about these two ladies, hear about their stories, hear about their journeys, why they decided to pursue interests in politics, and why they decided to be realtors, and a little bit about their life as realtors and life in the political arena and being women in the political arena, which I always think is important to spotlight and talk about. So let's just dive in. I want to hear from you guys. What made you all decide to pursue Your career and passion in politics, was this always something you knew that you wanted to do? Um, I'd like to hear from the both of you. Tell me a little bit about your decision and your interests in the political arena.
1: Well, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, This is Senator Michelle Reynolds. My background in real estate prepared me for my now path to politics. About 17 years ago, I became a realtor my desire to become a realtor really stemmed around using that platform, if you will, to help people who were marginalized, that needed housing, just really solving community problems. So 17 years ago, I started a nonprofit organization right after I got my real estate license. And that nonprofit organization was providing housing to formerly incarcerated men and women I used just my real estate education, my license to purchase property, but I became a compassionate landlord and I saw a need in my community. I saw that there there was a problem where individuals were coming home from prison and there was shelter system, but the shelter system was turning people away because it was designed for chronically homeless people. So I decided to lean in and to kind of be a problem solver and to use some of my properties and properties that I was investing in to create transitional homes for those individuals. Well, I was doing that alongside traditional real estate buying and selling and helping other people with their real estate needs. And that then just kind of transformed to over the years, really being a community problem solver. And so from that day to this day, um, have housed over 5,000 people, helped them to transition and get on their feet. And so really use real estate as a platform to provide housing to people that need it the most. And we all know that housing buying a home actually helps to eliminate that generational wealth gap that we need solutions like that. And so I just thank God for my real estate background and the platform that it's allowed me to help other people. And now I'm at the state house being able to help from a legislative policy level. So in a nutshell, that's kind of my story and how I got here.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Very, very cool. Very inspirational. I love that. Jill, what about you? Well,
2: during my career in real estate, I actually started when I was 20 years old. My mother was a real estate broker and she convinced me to get a sales license. And it was funny. I was very shy and I didn't know I could even talk to people at the time. But it was 45 years ago in June that I was licensed. Oh, my gosh. It's a big
0: anniversary this year. Congratulations. It (laughs) is. It
2: is. And so I obviously, my mom was my first uh, mentor and opened a branch office for her company. And that was in the late 70s, 1978. So there was a lot of ups and downs through the years I went through. Um, I moved to Columbus in 1987. So that was what, um, 36 years ago. That's when my career actually blossomed when I was in a community where there was just so many people to help and it was so amazing and I just love the service end of our business in helping families become successful and wealth builders and it was probably in the early 2000s when I got involved in the real estate legislative end of the business very involved in our and saw the difference it made and of course you know when I think Greg Grabcheck mentioned that if you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the menu that really hit me that I had the opportunity at this point to get more involved in the service. And so over the last 10 years, I've spent a lot of time at the state house and saw what happened to bills and how they became reality and how many people they helped. And, you know, I just had a passion. So I got involved a little bit in the party and the realtor party and saw that, you know, maybe this was an opportunity for me at this point in my career to get a little more involved. I was on a central committee in Delaware County and I served in Genoa Township on the Zoning Commission. Then early last year, I got tapped on the shoulder by Betty Montgomery and Joanne Davidson, who said, Jill, we need you. And I thought, oh, okay. I accepted their calling and I went in and I just had a blast last year running for office. To be able to meet up with Michelle and her team and work together toward a common goal of getting conservative, you know, representation to this district and her district. It was just I just can't even thank Michelle and her teams anymore about how she just took me under her wing and helped me. As a first time candidate, I didn't have the experience or the infrastructure that she had, but she just took me right in and and helped me along the way. And I think the best part was all the relationship building that I did last year and meeting all the people and really feeling that I could do something. And although I wasn't successful at my goal, I felt it was the best opportunity I could have had to help the community that I've served for 35 years here selling real estate. It was just doing the same thing as I've always done and that is go out there and try to help people that need your help. So that was my run at office and I just absolutely loved it. And given an opportunity again to do it, I would do it in a heartbeat.
0: I love that. And you were so spot on with what I was thinking. And, you know, when I was preparing for this podcast and I knew I wanted to have you both on and then if we could have done it together, I thought it would have been so cool too to have you both on during an episode. And I remember I reached out and you said, oh my gosh, I know Michelle and I worked with her. So I kind of want to hear a little bit more about your relationship, the relationship between you two. I know you mentioned Jill, she really took you under her wing and served in that mentor role, but how did your relationship start? And what did that look like? And are you guys still, you know, Very close now, and tell us a little bit about the relationship between you two.
1: Jill and I are, I like to call sisters. We are in the Joanne Davidson Ohio Leadership Institute. So that is a group of powerful, phenomenal women who are conservative under the leadership of former Speaker Joanne Davidson and Betty Montgomery. And we're very blessed to be a part of this group of women, and it really helps to push and empower us as leaders in our community to want to get involved and to want to get not only involved in politics, but how we can, you know, find our niche problems in the community and how we can serve. And so Jill and I actually met through that network. And I just love this woman right here because she has so much heart. She is tenacious. She's resilient. She's a leader. And we worked very, very well together, very hard together. This was not easy. And I can remember being a first-time candidate. It's never easy. And you learn so much. You meet so many great people. And if nothing else, it sharpens you and it gets you prepared for what's next, whether that's office, whatever it is, but it gets you prepared. And so Jill and I currently still do work together. We are on a couple of planning committees for some future things that deal with organizing in the district for local races. And we'll continue to work together because I know that there's big things in store for both of us, but it was certainly something that could not be done without a team. And Jill and I were very much a part of each other's team.
0: I love that. You can tell the bond between you guys that you very much have love for one another. And that is gonna be my question too, but we're gonna get, I'm gonna circle back to it. We'll get to it at the end is what's next for both of you ladies, because I wanna hear what's in the future and what we have to look forward to. But I wanna say that for the end of the episode. Why do you think it's so important for realtors to be involved? You know, Jill, you talked a little bit about RPAC, just familiarizing yourself with that, getting involved with the legislative process, learning how all of that stuff works. Why do you think it's so important for realtors to be involved?
2: Well, I think the thing I learned about the legislative process is that it affects all people. Homeownership, if you're in a rental, you have to have a place to live. And so once you have a place to live, there's a lot of things that affect Where you live and how you live, and everything from affordable housing to what's going on in the community, whether it's commercial real estate or residential, and every single thing is affected by our legislature. That is the end of government that I enjoy is lawmaking. And that's why I ran for the House of Representatives. I felt like that was the place that I could actually make a difference for people. Now I can do it through Michelle, my friend. Anything I can do to help her in her process, I want to be there for her.
0: I love that, Michelle. What about you? Why do you think it's so important? So I I agree with Jill. Realtors,
1: first of all, we're the closest to the people, and you know I like to say that those that are closest to the problem are closest to the solution. We touch the lives of people sure. buying a home and 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 raising their families. And realtors are leaders. We are producers by nature. You know we're the ones that get things done. And I've come to learn that in the legislature, you know, we elect people in office, but it's not because they're the smartest people and it's not because they know everything. It's because they're able to listen to those who know things. And so realtors should get involved because they are truly the subject matter experts to help enlighten, you know, the legislature or become a part of the legislature so that they can really weigh in on policy. They can weigh in on the way things need to be. They talk to the people, they're connected to people, they're connected to everyday people. And so I think that there's definitely a big place in all levels of public office for realtors to get involved. And I would encourage them to do so.
0: So important. I know it's something, you know, we preach here at Ohio Realtors and anyone that's listening knows that we've talked about just the importance of, of getting involved and, and knowing what's going on. And for all of those reasons that you women just described, I think it's So important and critical that we're staying involved and staying up to date on everything that's going on because we have so many different hands and different pots there, and it's important that we stay on top of that. I want to switch gears a little bit to what it's like being women in politics. I love speaking to uh, strong women, as you two both are, but I want to know what that world is like that is so male driven. How do you navigate that, and what has been your experience like uh, being women in politics?
1: Well, I'll just share that before going to the Joanne Davidson Leadership Institute, you know, I was politically inclined, but I really just didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to navigate things. And I didn't have that connection or the network to really push me. I didn't have the confidence, but I knew that I wanted to do something to impact my community. And so I ran for office my very first time when I was 25 years old. I ran for my local village council in Jefferson County. It's almost like a city council, but for a small village. And because I knew nothing about politics or political parties, I just, you know, I made my own yard signs, put them in people's yards, marketed the way that I could. I didn't win that race, but I knew that I had kind of the bug. But fast forward to now being able to connect with other women who have an interest in politics and really having them push you and empower you. I've learned that we can do, I mean, we're phenomenal. We're phenomenal women. We have certainly a a perspective that needs to be heard and shared, even amongst our male counterparts. I've noticed that, you know, I've been welcomed by women and men, and I, I appreciate that. However, you know, it can be very isolating. It can be daunting. One thing that's very different is women generally have to be asked to run we generally won't do it unless someone taps us on the shoulder. That was the case with Jill, and it was certainly the case with me. Whereas a man, you know, they'll be like, hey, that sounds like me, and I'll just run. No one has to ask them. They have the confidence. They may not even be qualified. It doesn't matter. They will run. So that is some an area that we need to work on. But being able to connect with other women in politics has been very empowering and encouraging. And it's really been the platform that's launched me to be able to run and just not stop.
0: That's amazing. Jill, what about you? What do you think? What's your experience been like? I
2: agree that with the Joanne Davidson Institute, they just really empower you to just go and do things. Because I worked for my mother, who is a real estate broker. She was the first real estate broker in our county that was a woman. And so that was... I mean, she just never let anything stop her. So I would have to say that as a young child, I was taught you could do anything you want. I have a short stature, I'm only five foot tall. And so I've never really let anything like that stop me. I've just always, real estate, I never saw a difference in real estate. I mean, the fact I was a woman, I was probably more of a problem solver than many men. I feel like I had an opportunity and advantage could sneak up on people a little bit because they never saw it coming the knowledge and the impact I can make in their lives. So once I got into real estate, the politics last year, I scheduled many meetings with many business owners, community leaders. It never once did any of them make me feel like there was a woman-man distinction. I really felt like they looked at me as a business person who wanted to help. And so I, I never felt really my entire life like that. And I think that I learned as a young child and uh, growing up in a, a large family. And I think my mom was just extremely empowering to me.
0: Oh, I love that. It's, it's awesome when you have an example of a strong woman to look back and how amazing for your mom to be that first broker in your, in your area. That's very cool at a time that it was probably quite taboo to have that. So trailblazers all the way around, both you and your mom. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, Visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-license course locations. I wanna hear a little bit about the decision to run and kind of what goes through that and then the process of what it actually takes to put on a campaign. I don't think we've talked about that on the show before. So I would love to hear a little bit about just the process, what all goes into it, the late nights and Michelle, you you mentioned you know, the signs and you had were making signs from scratch and everything that goes into running a campaign. Walk us through a little bit of that and what that looks like.
1: So from the onset, what it looks like is pretty much creating an organization. So the same type of work that you need to do to organize any project that you're working on, you really need to plan. And one of the very first things that I would encourage someone to do is to put together a team. And that team, we like to call your kitchen cabinet. And your kitchen cabinet is pretty much made up of kind of your inner circle, those that are going to be able to give you guidance and advice as it relates to various Aspects of your campaign. From a fundraising standpoint, you need a finance chair. From a political strategist standpoint, you need someone that, you know, understands politics and data, understands the numbers. Is this something that can be won? What do the numbers look like and how that all breaks down? You also need someone that can do opposition research. Unfortunately, we live in a world where you know data matters. And so you need to know who you're coming up, you know, who is going to be your opponent and their background as much as you need to know what's out there about you. You also need folks on the team that are gonna roll up their sleeves and do the groundwork. So you need that grassroots and you need many of them. You need someone that does communications, marketing. So just like having a board of directors or a board of advisors, if you're used to working in a business or a nonprofit, then that's kind of the system that you work in, but it's never something that the candidate ventures out there alone or even with just, you know, one person because it's a lot and it's a lot of territory to cover. Now, in a local race, it may not be as many people that you need at the table, but as the race is bigger or a bigger territory, you definitely need all hands on deck. And then you need a tight communication system. One of the things that our team did very early on is we put together a project management system using technology called Trello. So we have a Trello board. And we would park all of those tasks on Trello to keep it in front of us. So We had a dashboard every single day to remind us of what tasks we needed to follow up on. My fundraising person kept me honest by making sure I'm making phone calls all the time, meeting with people, getting around your district, making sure that you have a system for parades and volunteers and recruitment. So it is a lot of that. But I would say one of the number one things is communicating with your team and having that team That is very, very tight knit, but it takes that. It takes a team. It doesn't work alone in a vacuum. Some people think that it's noble to just fund their own campaign and not go out and fundraise. However, although that sounds like, you know, I don't want to bother people. I don't want to ask them to give me money. What I tell them, it's really not about you as much as it is about trying to make sure that you have enough money to get the message out. So if they care about the things that you care about, it takes money to make sure that you can get that out there. Also, when people give money to a campaign, that shows that they have a level of buy-in for your campaign. So money also equates to votes. I don't care if someone gives $1, if they give $1,000, especially if they're a voter of yours, you have them engaged. So if you're the only person giving or you're giving often, then really you kind of have one strong vote. But the person who gives a dollar or a thousand dollars is still just one vote. So going out there, having low dollar events or even high dollar events It's very, very important. Money's not everything, but engagement is. And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make sure you get your message out, but you're also trying to make sure that you are gaining voters at the same time.
0: Yeah, no, it's such an extensive process. I think it's so fascinating the amount of work that goes into these campaigns with no guarantee. The outcome of it, which is the crazy thing. You know, you get you commit so much money, time, resources into it without that um guarantee. Jill have, did you experience um something similar uh, with your campaign? just the amount of people and teams and energy and effort that it took to put on a campaign?
2: Yes, I agree a hundred percent with Michelle, although January, I was starting from scratch and, had lots of people that like to give me advice, but I tried as hard as I could to listen to Michelle because she was the most experienced recent person that I knew that was running this year and would have the same experiences, I'm sure, in her district that I had in mind. Our districts did overlap. My district was one of her three districts. So we knew that working as a team would be so critical to both of our successes. On the fundraising, it is something you have to really think about because as Michelle said, each dollar you collect from someone is a complete vote and buy-in that they are part of your team. And I had people that I knocked on their doors and, you know, all of a sudden I showed up, they sent me $15 and that told me they were on the team. They were part of my team. And some of those were some of the most amazing donations that I received. And you know, you can get a five or ten thousand dollar donation, but those fifteen dollars really mean so much because there are voters in your community that really trust you. You know, although I didn't win, I got twenty two thousand votes. There's twenty two thousand people that felt I could do a job for them that was necessary, and you know, I still run into people saying I voted for you, and I said thank you because it it does mean something to me that that they trusted me enough to carry on for them as their
0: representative. I love that. It has to be such a cool feeling to meet those kind of people and in having them have that belief in you. What is the biggest lesson that you all have learned throughout this journey, throughout this process, Michelle, throughout your service? What has been the biggest lesson that you all have learned from this? I definitely believe that it takes a leap of faith and
1: it's something that, like you said, there's no guarantees, but just knowing and not being afraid to do it having the confidence, standing on your faith, and knowing that you're worth it, you're enough. A lot of times we don't think that we're enough, but you're exactly what is needed and that everything that you do is preparing you for something else. So even what I'm doing right now in the state Senate is preparing me for what's next. The people that I encounter now, the policies or the issues that I have to deal with the problems, it's all preparation. So everything that you've done prior has led up to your now. That's been a big lesson, but also being very open-minded because you're meeting a lot of people. A lot of people have different perspectives. And although we may stand politically one way, it doesn't mean that we cannot share or open our mind to someone else's perspective because they have a different they just have a different mindset or they may have a different dynamic that you just haven't heard before so i think that that makes a good leader it makes a good servant leader but also last thing is being willing to just roll up your sleeves and do what needs to get done you know not being A diva and just ordering people around, but being someone who's going to be a servant leader, who's going to get it done and who's going to lead on purpose.
0: Yeah, that was beautiful. And I love too that you mentioned just being open to other people and other mindsets. And I know that's something I constantly want to do myself. And I've seen so much value from it. I have numerous friend groups that we have different beliefs on things, but I actually enjoy hearing their perspective and hearing their thoughts on things. You know, it's not, doesn't always have to be an instant negative thing if someone's different from you or someone has a different perspective on things. I've learned so much and I've truly enjoyed those conversations and it's made our bond stronger just being able to be open-minded and and share that relationship and share that thoughts with the other person that's different from you. I know I've gained so much value in that. So I love that that you mentioned that and brought that up. Jill, what about you? What what has have been your big life lessons through through your journey? I think not to
2: ever think you can't do something. I mean, I, I've never really had a whole lot of apprehension about doing things, but I will say during the middle of this process, I completely thought I was not up to the challenge. And then I realized it was just that fear that came in. And I don't have fear very often. But when it came in, it came in hard and strong. And I, you know, really questioned, was I capable of serving this many people in a way that I would be proud of? And then I realized, no, I am, I can do this. And so it was just the continuing to have the faith that I am the candidate that can listen to everyone. I mean, in 35 years here in Central Ohio, I've sold 5000 homes. I've listened to everybody. I've helped everyone. And I did it very proudly. I think that was the big thing is you hit that wall sometimes and you just have to come out of it. And it was with Michelle's help and her team's help that really helped me kind of get past those times.
0: And so much of what you say, I think, too, goes back to just that stigma that as women, you know, we all almost automatically have that self-doubt and we're not just as confident as men sometimes. And and it doesn't come as natural to us to just say, like, no, I'm going to go do this and kill it. And I think it's something that all women, you know, we share kind of that same inner struggle to where we doubt ourselves a lot. And it's just overcoming that and working that and, and kicking, flicking that little negative head voice in our head, you know, out of there. So I want to wrap up kind of with the final question that we talked about earlier, which is what's next? What is on the future for both of you strong, intelligent, bright, and beautiful women? I want to hear about the future and what's in store and what we might be expecting from you. Well,
2: I can just tell you from my perspective, that I feel like public service now is in my blood. And I do feel like it's just an extension of my 45 years helping people. So I'm not sure what's next. I've had some conversations with the governor and I'm just let him know that I'm open. What will happen is that I'm gonna continue to put myself out there to serve in some way that I can serve my community.
0: And we love having you there for us and fighting and campaigning for us. And we look forward to, to seeing what's next. Michelle, what about you?
1: So I too am very open. Right now, I'm focused on being a good state senator and serving my constituents and making sure that I deliver on the things that I ran on. My platform is Results Matter. So I really want to do that. And I believe that if I do that well, there will be lots of other opportunities. But I agree with Jill is that once you've gone through this process, it's like this bug. You just get bit by it. And you can't stop. And so even though people ask me, do you like campaigning? It's not easy. It's not fun. People believe that they can pick and pull you apart just because you're a candidate, but you do miss it. So even though I'm now in office, I do miss going out on the campaign trail and talking to people and, and all of those things. So what's next for me, we will see. I am open. I've learned to, just because of my faith, not to limit God. I stopped being ambitious a long time ago and just started to say, hey, whatever you have for me is what I want. And he's already blown my mind. I didn't even think I'd get to this level. So we will definitely see. But I am the type of person that if the stars align, I will take the opportunity and I won't look back. So I'm currently in law school while I'm a state senator trying to finish that up so that that way, whatever door does open, I'm ready for
0: it. Amazing. Wow. You guys are so incredible. This has been so awesome and, and so great to get to know you a little bit better and, and share your story. So, thank you guys for being so open and, and honest and willing to share your experience and in your stories with me. I know I really appreciate it. And it was really great to talk to you both today. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Allison. Thank you guys so much. And to all of our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohio slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We wanna hear from you. Email us at podcast at Realtors.org We'll see you next time.